I think the study of teaching, or kind of how to, uh, or at least the theory of, of how to teach, communicate information in a way that it's retained, uh, is called, at least part of it, is called pedagogy. P-E-D-A-G-O-G-Y. And uh, a major part of any study of that is repetition, right? So we've been working on that. Savior, more, to, more than life to me. This is our third Sunday in a row singing it. I think we're becoming a little bit more familiar with it. Great message from the hymn writer, uh, Fanny Crosby. In that vein of repetition, we have been uh, kind of digging into Luke chapter 4, and specifically uh, the temptations of Jesus as outlined in Luke's gospel. The first week we consider the way in which it was the Spirit who led Jesus into this wilderness, this time of testing, this time of seeming abandonment by the Father, this time when he was out all by himself. And last week, the halfway point, uh, I don't know, that may be good news for you that we're more than halfway through this uh, already. Uh, We remembered the temptation to rely on ourselves and the way that prevents us from resting in who God is and God's care for each one of us. And consider the way that the temptation from the devil to Jesus to turn stones into bread was uh, kind of the, the foundation of that temptation was, Jesus, you have to take care of yourself. You have to accomplish X, Y, and Z on your own because clearly God ain't gonna do it. Look look where he's placed you at this point, these 40 days of, 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 of hunger. How wrong and misguided that thinking is, but how easy it is for us to fall into it. I think there are a few more truths for us to consider. I hope it's been a helpful time for you. I hope our hearts are open to receive uh, this word from the Lord. But before we dig into kind of the second temptation, I wanted to to see if we could set kind of the, the broader scene of what's going on here, especially in light of the Uh, the expectation that the people had for who Jesus would be. At the end of the account of the Old Testament with the prophetic book of Malachi, until the starting of the writings of the New Testament, there's a span of 400 years in which God is silent. Sometimes that's called the intertestamental period. Those 400 years, if you had a generation every 20 years or so, that'd be what, 20 generations of folk for whom there was no word from God. And during that time, to, to, to further emphasize what they were going through, the chosen people of God, the, the people who traced their Lineage back to Abraham, the one to whom God had promised land and descendants and and, and all of that uh, stuff that we read about in Genesis. They were living under exile, or if they weren't exiled to some far off land, the land in which God had promised them was under the rule of various nations. And during that time, there is no message. No prophets, no messengers, not a single word. Finally, the word of God comes to Zechariah. 
John the Baptist's father. Remember that story where Zechariah is promised that his wife will have a son and he is to name him John and, and, and he, is, he is offering sacrifices in his role as a priest and, 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 and I think he laughs. But along comes John. John's kind of a enigmatic, that's a really nice way to say weird, uh, type of a guy. He goes off in the wilderness and dresses oddly and eats locusts and honey, but, but he, he, he begins to call the people to repent and, and to be baptized, and people are flocking to him, and the buzz starts to spread around John, and you can imagine with the, with the, slightest, the, the slightest glimmer of hope that, that maybe God is beginning to speak, how that would energize people and, and, and how it would, it would spread as quickly as it did. And the crowd gets amped up as they consider the possibility that seems to be on the horizon for their generation of God's deliverance. I want to read, I don't have it up on the screen here, it's just one verse from Luke chapter 3, right around the time of Jesus' baptism there in the Jordan River. Luke 3 verse 15, we read, let me find it here, as the people were in expectation, as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. This is the one they began to think that we have been waiting for, that our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents have been praying for, and finally God is answering those prayers. As the excitement grows even greater, John just 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 takes lighter fluid and douses the fire with it. When he says, it's not me, it's not me, but, but if you think the things that I'm doing are amazing, you just wait. You just wait until the promised one does arrive. In fact, he goes so far to say that the word of God is not being sent to us. The word of God is among us. And Jesus enters the Jordan and he is baptized and the spirit comes in the form of a dove and the voice from heaven speaks over Jesus. And then when the time, you think about all of that occurring, right? The, the people are there. John douses, so to speak, the, the embers of hope with lighter fluid. And then Jesus is, shows up and, and he's baptized and the voice from heaven comes in. I mean, everything is right And the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, alone, to be tested. Thinking of it, not from maybe our perspective, but because the temptations were given to Jesus, think of it from Jesus' perspective. Think of the expectations that the crowd had for Jesus, and Jesus attempting in his humanity to work his way through those expectations. That of an entire group, nation of people. The expectations of others, of other individuals, of our families, of our whatever, teachers, fellow peers, bosses, whatever the case may be, can be a lot sometimes. 
We know that when the devil came to Jesus with the first temptation, there was that taunt that accompanied it. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Turn stones into bread. To believe that all was dependent on him and the weight of the world was hanging on his shoulders. And the second temptation is not completely different than that. But it's the weight of expectations. The weight of the expectations of others. As we've done the last few weeks, I'll have you read the red, bolden part, and I'll read the other text. From Luke chapter 4, beginning with the first verse, And the devil took him, Jesus, up, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. The devil said to Jesus, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has, it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you, then, will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, So in this second temptation, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. I tried to find some images online, and these probably, I don't know if they do it, do it justice or not. But think about all that would include, the beauty of the world that Jesus himself had helped to create, the, the, the tragedy of human suffering, the riches and poverty, the, majest the majestic mountains and oceans, the nations warring and grasping for power. All this in a single instant was placed before Jesus. We probably have a greater understanding of being able to at least get a glimpse of that than most first century folks would have. And in fact, I'm pretty sure I could pull up on my little phone here some pretty majestic things on Google or YouTube or whatever the case may be. Whereas in the first century, you would be much more limited to what your eyes could see at that moment. But regardless of how much of the world and its kingdoms we might see, the lie is the same. And here is the foundational lie. This this, all of this, is all there is. When Satan showed Jesus at a moment in time all of the kingdoms of the world, the underlying message was what you can see is all that there is. And so, whatever you must do to gain power, to gain authority, to gain fame, it is possible for you to do that because this is all there is. We risk believing that this one fleeting life is all we have, and the kingdoms of this world are the only true kingdom. Even those of us who have walked with the Lord for a number of decades can find ourselves distracted. Distracted. And our priorities risk becoming out of whack or completely mixed up. 
So the devil, after showing Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world, priming the pump, right? He, he makes his offer. All this authority and glory I can give to you. It's been given to me, which has always been a weird thought to me. The devil has some authority and glory in the world that he can give to whomever he wants. It's above my pay grade to figure that one out, but that's what he told Jesus. Jesus didn't really dispute it. But that can lead us down the idea or down the, uh, the, the, the dangerous trail that evil is in charge. If the foundation of the temptation last week was that you are in charge, you or I are in charge, and it all depends on us, the idea behind this temptation may be that evil is ultimately in charge of this, of this world. And Jesus was given the chance to take, think of, think of it this way, Within this temptation, the deal was, the, 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 uh, uh, the, uh, the details of the negotiation were this. If Jesus would do what Satan was tempting him to do, then Jesus could take back some of what had been given to the devil within the world. I mean, glory and authority in exchange for a moment of worship? Is it a good deal? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, all Jesus had to do was think back to the last folk he had seen. The last people he had seen as, as he arose from the Jordan River were the people just waiting there, you know, just expecting. Now is the time. God is at work among us. These needy, expectant people, Jesus could gain the glory and authority that Satan held within the world for just a brief moment of worship. However, <laughs> there was a trap. What's the old saying? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Because had Satan convinced Jesus to do that, Jesus would have been relinquishing even more power within the world that he had been sent to redeem. Because, because the authority and glory that Satan could grant was limited to the authority and glory that Satan had, which was contained only within this world. And Jesus knew Jesus knew that there was so much more than just some puny glory and authority in a world that we can see. Jesus also knew how fleeting worldly glory and authority can prove to be. I think you've probably heard at least in some form of media over the last six or seven or eight months, this term cancel culture. In fact, that we were talking about Aaron Rodgers earlier. He, he, he mentioned that this week in an interview. He, oh, the, the cancel culture warriors are coming after me because of whatever. Right? We, we pretend like it's some new idea that, that the wider culture will, 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 will cancel you or dismiss you or write you off because of a decision that you would have made. Well, cancel culture, we could probably trace it back at least 
to a crowd that one Sunday cried Hosanna and the next Friday cried crucify him, right? That, that's cancel culture. As it relates to temptation, though much different in scope, that we might face, we can, I think, begin to understand how the expectations of others and opportunities for us to gain influence or glory and authority or, or whatever word we want to use. We can, if we think about it, look at times in our lives or decisions that we make that are short-sighted in their overall impact or effectiveness. Thinking that we can gain influence, gain power, authority, whatever, by just meeting the expectations of other people. <laughs> Jesus, fast forward, we've been back to the intertestamental period, and then to Jesus being baptized in the Jordan, and, and Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Now fast forward, Jesus, of course, resisted temptation. We'll look at that just very briefly in just a second, but Jesus resists the temptation, goes on to die and be buried and resurrected and ascend. And there were still a lot of folk who were disappointed in him because Rome remained in control. He wasn't the political leader or Messiah that they thought that he would be. So after attempting to wow Jesus with all of the kingdoms of this world and the accompanying glory and authority that they may contain, the devil says, all you have to do all you have to do is just worship me. Just comply by signing on to my version of what's real. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that this is all there is, this is all that's worth seeking for, was a lie. Jesus knew that there was something much deeper, much more true, much more real. He knew that it was the kingdom of God. The kingdom that he would spend the remaining three years of his ministry attempting to describe. And you can tell if you read the parables of Jesus, that the way he describes the kingdom of God, the mustard seed or the yeast among the dough, or, or on and on and on. He uses these word pictures, these analogies that we call parables to explain that the kingdom of God is that element of the world that is often small and easy to overlook. But it exists among small groups of people filled just as Jesus was by the Spirit of God. The key element for those of us who claim to our identity as members of that kingdom, to maintaining our awareness of the grander, lasting, expansive kingdom of God comes through the very temptation that Jesus was offered. It comes through worship. It comes through worship not of the enemy, but of God. It's found in the way Jesus responds as he quotes, or paraphrases actually, Deuteronomy 6. It is the Lord your God, you shall fear him. You shall serve 
You shall, it is the Lord your God, your God you shall serve. You shall, golly. <laughs> it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. This was the message given by Moses. Just as the people stood at the cusp of the promised land after 40 years traveling through the wilderness, he wanted them to know that though he would not cross into the promised land, he knew that the risk, the risk was the distraction that they would face. As they saw and conquered the kingdoms of the world, that they would begin to think that that was all that existed. He wants to remind them of all they've learned about who God is and who they are during their time in the wilderness. And his instruction is simple. Worship God. Don't stop worshiping God because the second that we do that, we risk beginning to believe that the world is all there is and its glory and power and expectations of us begin to control us. So in the rhythm of our lives, the rhythm of our weeks, it is right and good for us to gather and remind one another not to fall into the temptations offered by the kingdoms of this world because there's so much more than what meets the eye here.